getting it up. There we go. Thank you. And um, one of the interesting things about this verse or set of verses is that I, I've got, I have this. There we go. Uh, I was at Oceanside a few weeks ago. My wife was in Tillamook attending a conference on um, writing grants for an organization. And I've lived up here off and on in the Northwest since 1979. Been to Tillamook since 1979. Never taken the trip over to Neatarts and Oceanside. Anybody inside? What do you do there? Watch the water. But if you go at, high t- at low tide... There's a strip of rocks on one of the beaches, and within those are agates and jaspers that you can gather. I thought it was cool. It's all these people out there wandering around picking up stuff, and well, what are you doing? And it's like they didn't want to tell me because I might find one of theirs, you know. But it was this whole idea of, of, of agates. And that, that kind of struck a, 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 an image of me I had. There's a song that's done by Eden's Bridge, and a lot of you may not be familiar with Eden's Bridge. It's a Celtic worship group. Uh, I don't even know if they're together anymore, but about 20 years ago, they put a song up. And we're going to just kind of read the lyrics later, but keep in mind the, the, the stones on the beach. And so we'll, we'll get into that in a little while. Oh, there we go. I've got to learn how to use my deal. Paul is at Corinth. We're going to learn something about this church in Corinth. It, it has problems. It has problems like every church, not unique to Corinth. Understand, what happens there is it becomes magnified in what's going on. Every church has these very same issues. Whether we like to think about it or not, they're right there. We begin to focus on the importance of how we are transformed by God, that conversion of both our thought and our actions and what we do and how we go about doing things. Our worldview changes what we value, our knowledge Wisdom, virtue, the cross transforms us. If it doesn't transform, then why? So we have to remember the cross transforms us. It becomes a really important aspect of who we are. The first set of verses are, beginning in verse 10, Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there are no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Pretty strong words. Who's Chloe? You know, who, who wants to know who Chloe is now when they get this letter? You, are you Chloe? No, okay. From now on to me, if I'm ever here again, you're Chloe. Chloe's people went to Paul and said, listen, there's something wrong. There's problems, you know. We have an issue that's happening in the church. Now, these were not the, your, your local little gossiper gossipers. It doesn't not reported like that. These are not folks reporting things behind people's back. This is a real issue in the church. But what we find out in the opening statements is that unity is fundamental to a church. It is absolutely critical. Without it, the church will splinter and will go awry. I've had the, um, the occasion in my pastoral ministry to go into two congregations that had been severely split. 
I mean severely split. And I realized that in one of them, my ministry was simply to spend about seven years in healing and people getting past what had happened to where they were prepared to really move forward. And they are now. It's exciting to see that. But to be healthy, you have to have unity. That doesn't mean you agree on everything. That doesn't mean that. What it does mean, you're focused on the centrality of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he wants to do through you. That you have an openness to others who see maybe a slightly different path of reaching that goal, but that goal is Jesus nonetheless. It's critical to be on top of the fissures or the cracks in unity. You have to be aware of what's going on. When you begin to see segmenting and cracking happening, it needs to be addressed. You need to have people like Chloe's people willing to say, wait a minute, we have a problem. And to do it in a way that is effective and can help the situation. They went to the person that everybody would listen to, Paul. They didn't all like Paul. He was not a likable guy quite often. But they knew he spoke the truth. They knew he spoke the word of God. And they knew from Paul writing to them that Chloe had some kind of standing within this congregation that they would listen. She had a reputation that was not not negative, but a positive one saying, we'll listen. This comes from her household. She's not somebody who is idly around gossiping about things. So they begin to have that. The church had begun to rally to different leaders, portions of ministry. And it's really kind of interesting because we have what goes on here. Now, I mean this. So Paul's going to the point. This is the problem that Chloe reported, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Where did they place their value spiritually? They had missed the mark. They had gone awry. They had taken a step to the wrong direction. How often do we do that in churches? In a lot of different ways. Having, having been in a church, in, in, when I was in the Midwest, I was clerk of the yearly meeting for seven years and had an opportunity to go and visit a lot of churches. And, and most of the visits were there to begin to discuss issues. Not so much, yay, it's a wonderful time, the church is growing, and how excited, it's, we got a problem here. So, so the superintendent and myself would go, and we, we, we would do that. And so often it was, man, you know, I started coming to church about 20 years ago, and boy, the pastor then, he is just great. Oh, man, he is wonderful. Nobody's lived up to him since. The five they fired in the meantime have not been like this guy. They have failed to connect because several of these pastors are now being other churches, very successful. Well, what happened here? You took your eyes off Christ and you put it on a man. You've got to keep your eyes on Christ. If you don't get something on Sunday morning in worship, you've come not expecting to be blessed. That's your problem. That's not the preacher's problem. That's not the song leader's problem. That's not the Sunday school's problem. That's not the usher's problem. Your problem. You come to be blessed. And if the gospel is preached, you will be blessed. It may not be exciting. It may not be thrilling to your ears. But if Christ is preached, the covering blood of the gospel of Jesus, how can you not be blessed? How can you not have that sense of, 
Here I am, and God is present. Just keep your hearts and minds open towards that. It's so important we do that. But they had fractured. They had gone and assigned themselves to these different people. And I love the way Paul addresses this. Because pride is involved in this. I have something you don't. That Apollos. And we know from Scripture he was a great speaker. We know from the other instances when Priscilla and Aquila took him under, under wing back in Acts, you can read this, to begin to instruct him in the ways of the Holy Spirit. He knew the gospel. You know there are places, a couple places in Scripture where you have believers in Jesus that don't know the work of the Holy Spirit? Is that unbelievable to believe? When Paul arrives at Ephesus the first time, he's greeted by believers. And he says, well, what about the Holy Spirit? He goes, we don't know about the Holy Spirit. How are you a Christian? These are fellow believers, he's called, and not know the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? Well, they'd seen the conversion, but they weren't around for Pentecost. They knew of Christ's resurrection. They knew of his fulfillment as Messiah, but they weren't around at Pentecost when the outflowing of the Holy Spirit came to the world in a different way. The Spirit invaded people's lives in a different way because he's now resident among us in a different way than he was prior to that. The Holy Spirit's always been present, always been there, but now he is intrinsically tied into your very spiritual DNA. It's part of who you are. They didn't know that. So Paul prayed for them. And at that point in time, their signs began to speak in tongues and talk to one another, and they were different. It changed. And what happened to Ephesus? When Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, it became the center of the church. Where does John go? Ephesus. It becomes the center of the way things are. Pride can be involved. You have to keep your focus on Jesus. Oops. Am I at the right place? Uh, yeah, I am. Good. Has Christ been divided? This is Paul's statement, and this is wonderful. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What does Jesus tell us? Go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting for Paul as we go through it, he kind of takes a step back from the importance of baptism. And as friends, we understand that we believe in a spiritual baptism and not in a physical manifestation in public. However, that's really kind of what it is, what he's talking about here. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But God's action to save his people to himself. Jesus' faithfulness to the cross is what saves us. We assume that on. Imagine, if you will, a dammed river. Huge body of water out there. Or an ocean, or whatever it might be. And you're wandering along doing your thing. And for you to enjoy that is to merely step into it. To accept the reality that it's there and do that. Salvation is much the same way. It was an accomplished fact 2,000 years ago when Christ went to the cross and his blood covered the sin of the world. Salvation is there for the taking. Will you enter into that? That's all that. You have nothing to do with it. Nothing you've done. Well, the part you had to do that was your sin that needed to be covered and Jesus needed to come and die the sinless death for us. I mean, that's what we had to do with it. But... The acceptance, the reality of it being there, 
is that you need to enter into that, to understand it's present and there. And that's what we're to do, to bring that message to our world and to you, one another on a, on a daily basis. You know, enter into this. It's there. You don't have to do anything. Just enter into it. Our baptism is into becoming Christ's people, identifying that. And baptism is used in a couple ways in Scripture. You have immersion, there's water baptism. Other places it's used as an identifier. You identify with Jesus Christ. This is a very Jobian thought. This idea, did Paul die for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Was Paul resurrected for you? It takes me back to Job 38 and 39. Are you familiar with this at the end of Job? After his three buddies have come and talked to him and told him, Job, you've done something wrong. You're being punished by God. You have to confess your sin, whatever that is. And Job says, can't do it. Can't, can't do that. I've done nothing. I've done nothing. And they say, oh, Job. Finally, God, and Job has a little conversation, and then God comes and says, Job, and to these gentlemen, who calls me into question? Who out there has the ability to bring me up on charges? Who here can call me into account? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? Who shut up the seas? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Where are the storehouses of the snow and the hail? Can you bind the chains and hold the Pleiades? On and so on and so on. He reminds him, much of what Paul is reminding them of, who do you think you are to take your focus off the Almighty? Who do you think you are to do this? See, Job is not a story of suffering and misery. He utilizes it. It's a story of understanding we got our idea wrong about who God is and about what causes sin and misery. Paul's response. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. I love that. I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except these two guys so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize the household of Stephanus and beyond that. I do not know whether I baptized any others. Now, Stephanus is now in Rome with Paul. Okay? He's probably one of the individuals who brought the message back to the church from Paul in Rome. So Paul's there with Stephanus. He's there with Fortunus, and I can't remember the other gentleman's. Who are from Corinth? Who are from Corinth writing this? And so you have this very clear statement saying, Listen, I didn't baptize any of you. So there can only be two or three of you saying you're of Paul in the first place and be honest about it. People have identified with these individuals by they take value in that identification. We can run into those problems within a church within the kind of schisms that come over things that are really kind of senseless at times. And I'm going to give you a couple, or one one good example. When we were in Kansas, the church we were in was one of the historical churches of Midwest Yearly Meeting. The sanctuary, the new front half of it, the two front two-thirds of it, and they called it the new sanctuary. It was built in 1912. 
That's the new sanctuary. The back, what we call the overflow rooms, the older part of the building structure, was built in 1887. So it had been there. It had been through tornadoes, been through blizzards, been through 110-degree summer days, and was still standing. And the, and the foundation were all post pillars. Anybody familiar with the post pillars? The rock pillars, and the, you see them out through, through uh, western Kansas, up into Nebraska, and, and into um, Colorado, and some parts down into Oklahoma and Texas. But they're square pillars, and they imported these things back. We lived out just out of Wichita, and that's what sat under the building. That was the foundation. It still stood and standing today. But one of the things that arose, we just had a worship room that we met. It was our biggest room. It was our, we didn't have a big facility. It wasn't very big to meet, to hold those kinds of... Our, 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 our area of meeting was half the size of this room over here to get together for potlucks and stuff. We just didn't have the room to do it. Well, one of the folks said, well, you know, time to get new cushions for the pews. Now, the pews were all arched, continuous oak, white oak. Our back, I take the back pew was split, but the back pew was 35 feet long and a beautiful arch, white oak, built in 1912. Refinished about five years prior to when we came. They were just spectacular pews. They said, well, why don't we, move, why don't we get rid of the pews and get chairs? You don't think that didn't light up the room? <laughs> Not only the people at the church, but the people who assumed the church was there, who had attended off and on since 1912, I think, some of them. This was a little town. We were three miles out in a dirt road, and it was the oldest church in the community. This had meaning to a lot of people. We can't worship without the pews. You know, when you say that, it's kind of an amazing, amazing prospect. Now, I'm not for pure against pure. Don't, don't, don't take this as, a, as I'm advocating anything that's coming or going. That's not it at all. But we eventually did come to the decision to use and put chairs in. And um, more than one person came to me three or four or five months down the road, and they said, man, we really miss those. We really miss the look. We miss the feel of those wonderful pews. He said, but we sure like these cushions to sit on. <laughs> kind of depends on where your perspective is at. Pews are cool. They look nice in a building. They really do. They set a stage in a, in a sense of wonder. But they really do kind of withdraw what you can do within a room. Just a little bit. Neither one is good. Neither one is bad. But it's important we understand you can't let that kind of an issue split a church. You can't let that kind of an issue bring division among you. You can have a difference of opinion, but you begin to need to listen to where the Holy Spirit is leading the church today, to how to minister that gospel to the world that we're in. So Paul's happy he hasn't baptized these people. Paul understood his call. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. It wasn't my golden words or my silk tongue that brought the gospel to you. It was my presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read that elsewhere in Paul's writings. But he didn't send me to baptize. Now, baptism was that important. Understand 
the prophet to which we all owe ourselves. Now, I don't, there may be some folks who are from a, a Jewish heritage in here, I don't know, but everybody else, we owe a link to Paul because he was the gospel provider for the Gentile. I didn't come to baptize you guys. I came what? The cross of Christ would not be made void. I came for that gospel. I thank God that I bat. Oops, went backwards. Sorry about that. I'm going backwards on here. Used to, I never used one of these until I started left my last church because in the back there was a 68-inch screen, which I loved. I, I would, I, I'm stepping back. I would suggest you get one for your pastor. No, seriously, it's a wonderful tool to have. Song leaders love it because they can look up and they can see the words. Even when you have 50-year-old eyes, you can see the words. And anybody else he may invite with him someday. But that way he can be up looking at you. And that makes a difference. Same thing with this. You don't have him fiddling around with these like I do. These things right here. Did it wrong again. Call to preach, not to baptize. The cross to be glorified. Can't lose sight of that. This is the start of a poem that I saw. And what I want you to keep in focus on this is where our eyes are to be fixed, where our activities are to be fixed. This is, and I'm going to give a little, just a little bit on it. You're not supposed to do that, I know, with song lyrics or poems. But just begin to understand that the stones and the seashore are the things that, are, that can bring us together or pull us apart. They're the stuff that's out there. Uh, the ocean is God. The wind is the Holy Spirit. Not a bad illustration for that. But I want to read this to you. And actually goes through several slides, and I'll try and keep up. But it says, In the beginning... I was counting the stones on the seashore, looking for the precious ones. Among the stones, I found many pretty things, while the sea rolled on beside me all the time. Time moved on. I had collected many stones till I tired of them, and I think they tired of me. Some were lovely, but I was never satisfied, and the sea rolled on beside me. All the time. And the wind rose in the east and cold, whispering sweetly to my soul, and it said, Look, you fool, you're missing precious things. Raise your eyes and look towards the sea. So I looked. And it was as if I saw the sea for the first time. Its power captured me. All the time I had wasted steaking stones, I had missed the rolling glory of the sea. And the sea devoured a mighty swath of my heart, overwhelmed me in a way I could not know. And the price for the love of greater things was to surrender to the great and cruel sea. And it stole me. And I feared the arch, arch, arching sea, aching sea. 
It consumed me and drowned my mind. The wind said, look, you fool, no matter what you do, you cannot contain the ocean like a stone. We have a propensity to put God into a box. We have a propensity to value those things which aren't important to our eternal life, important to the reality of who we are, important to the reality of how we go about life. We lose it within our own churches in much the same way that the pews in the other church I was in nearly caused a major problem. The last church we were in showed up, began work. Our first stewards meeting, they came in and said, well, you know, we got a problem with the gym. Now, the gym, had, in, in anybody been up to Rose Valley Friends? Nice facility, big facility. Went there, the gym had been there about, about almost 30 years. In fact, that's, it's, they, they lost the roof one year. It, it collapsed under snow one year after Roger Sargent had been up on the roof cleaning it. Um, they rebuilt it, put it back together. Uh, it, but, but when I got there, there was, a, there was a water feature inside the church. When it rained, there's about a 15-foot-wide wall of water that came down. Really quite lovely. You know, you pay big money for a water feature. We didn't pay anything for it. So I said, we got to fix this, which we did. And they went in the, and went to do that. And uh, they said, well, it's going to be, to get this thing up to standards, about $250,000 to get it where it needs to be. Because you've got a, we got foundation work, new wiring, new plumbing, all this kind of stuff, new roof. Wow, that adds up, man, man. And we have people in the church that do stuff. I mean, they have the equipment and the people and come and do it. So, well, let's just build a new gym. Oh, really? That caused a real stir. We can't do that. This is a community icon. People in the community, we got phone calls and letters. You can't change the gym. I play basketball. My kids play basketball. My grandkids are playing basketball there now. You can't do that. How will it ever be the same? I said, well, we can't keep it the same. I mean, it's, it's kind of rotted and fallen down. And, you know, we can't do that anymore for safety. So anyways, we had a big, we had a big gym burning when it went and did it, and we burned the gym down. Well, we didn't burn it. The fire department burned it. Talk about happy people. These guys got to burn a building. And do it. And they burned that thing for a week. They had groups in from all over southwest Washington burning the building. This, this was the greatest thing in the world. 
And just prior to that, they had the sheriffs and the um, police coming in, doing, doing you know, uh, evacuations, mock evacuations of people going in and going into the different rooms and all over the place. So this is a great thing for them. They loved it. Oh, yeah, when we burned the building, people were bringing lawn chairs. Sit down, watch this thing burn. Big event in Rose Valley. Not much happened in Rose Valley. You know, this is a big event. But we built the new gym. And... Um, but it was such a stress on our church and on the community we served until they walked through the door. Said, oh, this is nice. We can do a lot more here. When we used to change groups, we had a cubicle about the size of this little area here you walked in and out of to get into the gym. Well, we had basketball program. About 200 kids participated in over three months. Mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and cousin Eddie come. Getting... 150 people out of the gym watching, and 150 in was a real trial. Well, now we have a foyer that is about half the size of this sanctuary that people can come in and move through and sing. But they loved it once they got into it and saw it. That's something I want to warn you about or, or, or just exalt you on that or exhort you on that, was that when changes like that do come, look for the reason why it's happening. Understand that it's not something to replace what's been there, but to move forward to what can be. You know, it's always easy to replace stuff. It's a lot harder to do the other. They had tried to contain the sea. How often do we do that? That we try to contain the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Because we're comfortable with what's there. We're used to it. And there's good reasons why we are. Because it's blessed us and blessed others and built us up. But to make sure that in the world we live today, that message has continued to be spoken and lived in a manner that communicates that to the new generation. What are you willing to step aside from to take the next step as a church? What are you willing to see as okay as something you don't quite understand? One of the things that happened in our church in Kansas just a couple of years before we came is they got indoor bathrooms. They got indoor flush toilets. Yeah. They, were in the, the, they built a little wing expansion. They put them down there because they couldn't. Some of the old timers said, you can't have that near the, bath, near the sanctuary. You can't do that. It can be away, but you can't be near the sanctuary. We need to keep focused on what's important. The cross, Jesus. Everything else is open. The cross and Jesus. Period. And how the scriptures bring that to truth. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and all he's done for us. We thank you that the Holy Spirit in here is present to bring the truth of what you've given us to both the written word and our experience. We thank you for the traditions of the church that are passed down to us, Father. But mostly we praise for Jesus and his faithfulness to the cross, that we can stand here and we can stand together. It's in his name we pray. Amen.